Hello and welcome. Uh, this is now, I think, my ninth or tenth kind of live stream. And one of the things I was very keen to do with the book and the podcast and lots of different things is almost it's to share the stories of genuinely interesting people that I think uh, you will get real kind of value from. Uh, but not just kind of talk about the obvious kind of businessy type stuff. And again, I'm one of these people that were, you know, I'm not a big fan of just an obvious plug for the business, but what I do like doing is exploring the theory, talking around a few different things, really kind of sharing the, the brand and the people behind the kind of different businesses. And today is someone who uh, I definitely hold in very high uh, esteem. It's something that I've said that if the world was going to end and I had to pick maybe 10 people to kind of help, uh, you know, put together a team to solve the problem, I would definitely pick this person. I will let him introduce himself uh, and hopefully over the next kind of hour or so, uh, we'll hopefully have quite a good conversation. So, Chris, if I can just bring you in, uh, would you like to both say hello and kind of just introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. And hi, folks. Uh, my name is Chris Payton. Uh, I have been either in the military or the commercial world for the best part of uh, the last 30 years. And so I had just shy 19 years in the worked there in the Royal Marines at all sorts of different levels. Uh, and then after that, I've been working commercially ever since within my own consultancy, uh, seeing lots of different problems and topics across lots of different sectors, private, public, uh, and all sorts. Perfect. So we. We were meant to meet at an Aberdeen event, uh, which was called Health Fighters, and this was set in 2014-15 in the wake of the uh, oil price crash. And it was the, the basically there was it was a networking group, kind of a private one, that was probably 15 or 16 or so people. And Chris was invited up to speak, and actually something happened, and I couldn't really make it. But in the kind of warm up to the talk. Uh, there's a talk which I'll link to when I share this on LinkedIn and different things, which is the talk. Was it a TED talk? I can't remember. It was to do with um, basically uh, Afghanistan and your approach to wargaming. Actually, that'd be quite an That's interesting topic. Right, yes. Would you like to tell people about what the talk is? And I'll link to it just so they can see it. Because for me, it was, you know, I instantly knew, uh, like kind of knew I, I want to get to know this guy. Um, so, but if you want to kind of explain <laughs> what it is. Yeah, so I think that I think the talk that you're referring to. I mean, I've done, I've had several sort of speeches and stuff recorded, but um, I think the talk that you're referring to is the one that I actually did at the Health Fighters conference and was then shared shared on YouTube um, by Thor Holt. Yep, I know. Um, so yes, it was talking through um, a planning approach. It was talking through the experiences that we went through at one particular point in Afghanistan when. Uh, the base that uh, that I was in got got attacked by a huge number of in, of people, um, far more than the people who were inside the base defending it. And it was essentially the, the story of how we got through that, and how that then drove me to get much more involved in the gaming side of things, gaming decisions, gaming strategies, trying to work out where they're going to fall over, so that. We can predict that in advance um, and therefore save ourselves all these preventable mistakes that otherwise we have to crisis manage, which yeah. is great in a military context, but in a commercial context, it's normally very expensive. Now, I'm the, I'll link the, the talk and I definitely kind of recommend that everyone kind of watches it. Uh, but my point was, but that was almost my first introduction. And I have this thing which I've spoke about before is almost the, the um, I feel I have a, 
a quite a good bullshit meter and you definitely pass the test and not everyone does but i think because of that it was one of the things that you know there'll be a lot of people who might not know who you are yet uh, but actually we had a chat earlier today almost um, about what is the benefit of actually doing kind of live streams and that kind of thing but for me it's where good people will hang around uh, you'll get to know them you'll see you know see them all over the place and again you know it's it's the i think it, your chris is worth meeting if that makes sense um so how are you finding oh, kind of coronavirus so far uh, yeah it's, it's been it's been interesting i think it's it's like all these things you've got to look at it from all the different angles um clearly um first up there were there were difficulties and um, particularly for the business uh, because a lot of what we do is face-to-face -face in workshops with clients and their teams uh, so that bit made it difficult and we had to try and work out what we we're going to do to address that um, and there was a bit unnerving but at the same time it's also it has genuinely given me I, i'm sure lots of people are saying this a lot more time and it's it's given me a lot more opportunity to, to reflect and to slow down uh, i have been working from home yeah same so i'm seeing a lot more of the family because normally i'm traveling five if not six days of every single week wow so to, to actually be at home and spend time with the family and to do projects at home that uh, that was been needing to be done for a long time and because my because my children are older and um, they're able to help me with those projects so that's been interesting having having time with them doing that um, but yeah just slowing down a bit uh, i think and whilst I recognize that the business is like all businesses right now under a degree of pressure. It, I think that the pressure is outweighed by the benefits of what I've seen as a bit of a, a reset for myself personally, from a family perspective and from a ability to look at the business from a, from a further off stand to the coal phase business as usual and, and trying to trying to manage it. The uh, one thing that I actually really like, and just to kind of let you know in case it comes across on your end as well, I think we're having some technical problems, but it still records on my PC, so I'll just keep going. Okay. It's fine. Okay. Just I think no it's just a bandwidth thing. Um, okay. But one of the things that I actually really like about when you've given talks in the past, and when coronavirus first kind of hit, you did a webinar, which I kind of uh, watched. And the it was when I love people that take content, but they make it real. So you talked about your Tiggy test. And then um, <laughs> there was also your son. It was basically just crack on and do it. I forget what his name is, but I, I appreciate Dan, that, 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 Yeah, but but what it does, it makes it memorable because I now remember that in a way that it, it makes your whole <laughs> service and stuff personable. That in a way, yes. it's one of my it's one of my pet peeves. That is, uh, you might come up against the same, but we both in many ways do what we do because of our own experience and our own ideas and that kind of thing, and it's ours. And it's almost it's the the benefits of that versus you know some of the kind of franchise type models that the systems in theory still work, but I like it the way that you personalize it. So it's just you know I appreciate the kind of the content and actually something that we'll talk about now just because um, I think the last time we spoke it was on a webinar and we were both guests and we didn't know that we were going to be there and it was I think a major European uh, think tank type event. And what we both uh, laughed about, which is something you commented about, was actually about how uh, they were talking about how for companies to survive coronavirus and the potential kind of downturn, 
they had to invest, I think it was a minimum of a hundred thousand pounds in something like 60 projects. Uh, you know, but obviously the webinar was aimed at major multinationals and you made the very valid question of actually, I, are these people for real? You know, do they live in the real world? Because I think it's a big thing that I see as well is that from like a business strategy point of view, and I come with it more from a, take the academic stuff that you get from the McKinsey and the Bain and that kind of thing, but actually trying to mm -hmm. simplify it down for let's say a Northeast local business sub kind of 10 million is my kind of sweet spot. But it was almost, I think sometimes companies miss the, there's so different bubbles. Like I have friends that work for major global startup unicorns and they might be able to invest 6 million pound in 60 different projects. But most of the people I've met could never in a million years do that. And I just wondered from, you know, the people that you meet, um, do you, do you get a good spread of different companies of different sizes and almost, do they all have the same kind of value set or do you get people that are different at different kind of tiers? Um, we, we do have a, we do have a very broad range of clients. We, we've got small companies that we work with, um, and that sort of, you know, the, the, if you like smaller scales, almost startup scale up businesses. Um, then you go into that sort of, if you like that middle tier, but then we work right up to organizations like Mercedes and Shell, um, you know, Lloyd's corporation, others like that, as well as NHS and all sorts. So right sort of top to bottom, I suppose. And, um, I think, I think in a, in a funny way, the military background helps you deal with that because when you been going through the military and been in the military for quite a while, like I was you know, 19 years, you see everything from a sort of a, a four person team perspective that you're in all the way up to a strategic governmental level. So you, you kind of have an ability, I think, to be able to interpret and to adapt and to uh, recognize some of the challenges that the different organizations are in. Yeah. Um, there are definitely some common areas. Uh, across all of them, uh, but I think it's probably for for me, it's when you hit that sort of I don't know, thirty to fifty staff mm -hmm. members and above, team members and above, where I think I can start to add a lot of benefit because if you're if you're smaller than that, a lot of what I'm talking about is how to enable the organisation, the planning within the organisation, et cetera, et cetera and how to how to enable the cultures and the leadership and the teamwork and everything else now if if you are only operating in an organization where there's only three of you or four of you then it's yes it can still help and still advise, but it's not it's not it essentially is going to be as useful as as for somebody else coming in that that space so um i think there are i think there are common commonalities between most of the organizations which is <laughs> We know what we want to achieve, but kicking the can down the road a little bit and deferring decisions. And a lot of organizations find it challenging to get the organization to really work in a, in a kind of like a matrix, multidisciplinary way. Yeah. A lot of them are still working in stovepipe areas, stovepipe departments, and struggling to get those to talk to one another. So lots of those are essentially exactly the same. Uh, and once you go to the scale question up or down, it's just a question of how big the problem is depending on the scale. You know, a lot of the literature talks about basically teams or societies or people of over 150 people is almost when you start to um, find the cracks because it's at the point where historically, say in the tribe, 
where you can't know everyone and then it starts to break down in sub-segments. Uh, but I say fortunately, most of the companies where I've worked in the past are at that are below that level. Um, but it's almost, right. again, when I set up on my own, you, you gradually find your niche. So I now know that my niche is actually in that sub 150 pairs kind of level. Um, okay. Yeah. But but it's just, you know, I don't often get to talk this through with someone, so I find it quite interesting. Um so <laughs> so you went on to have quite a successful career in the in the military. But one of the things I'm quite keen to do is just because I think it'll be interesting to kind of piece it together, is almost can you talk about your childhood and how you found yourself in the military and then like the journey through? <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a recurring theme through my life, really, which is um, happy, happy accidents, I suppose. I think that's true for everyone, by the way. Uh, yeah, true, true. And, and kind of making the most. So um, I grew up in a quite a rural part of the, of the northwest, um, sort of on the, on the border of North Wales and Cheshire. Where about? Shropshire in, in Near Chester. Uh, not far yeah not between chester and wrexham i suppose i've got friends that live there um (laughs) basically the so i grew up in liverpool but it's technically uh, it was a town called mogul which is near ormskirk which used to be on the border with lancashire but i have friends i speak to every single day that live exactly where you've described um so small world but it's good to know yeah absolutely absolutely well there we are so you've got a good idea of, of the sort of the nature of the area but it's 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 pretty remote. I think that, you know in my primary school there's something like thirty six children in total in the whole of the primary school. And um, it uh, it was a lovely childhood to grow up in. Very rural, very much farming orientated. My dad was in farming, um, and so spent a lot of time getting in, being and working in that that sort of area, as well as all sorts of other stuff. Um, decided I wanted to be a civil engineer. Um, okay. I liked engineering. That's what I loved doing at school, uh, and so I did A levels designed to help me get to university and um, to do civil engineering. I got a, a place at uh, Loughborough University to do civil engineering. Very nice. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that, um, and uh, really enjoyed being at Loughborough. It's a nice university to work at and to, to be in. It has a nice feel to it, although it's like maybe a bit spotty and squeaky at times. Um, <laughs> And uh, as I was there, a, a friend who I was sharing a house with at the time was in the reserves. And he said, this is fantastic. It's great fun. And you earn a bit of money. So it tops, kind of tops up your student grant and helps you with a bit of cash. So why don't you come along? And literally, I had no intention of doing anything other than going into a civil engineering degree. But went along and went into these you know, armed forces reserves, had a great time, really enjoyed it, and decided that I wanted to give the Royal Marines a, a try and see if I could pass the tests and pass the selection courses and get in and pass the commando course, um, and did. Um, so, so I did a- Did you I, bail on university? No, no, no. I, I completed my degree and got all the way through, and, and got a got a got a reasonable got a reasonable qualification of degree. I got a two one, um, so I was you know I was pleased with that. Um, but yeah, essentially, instead of going into civil engineering, which I'd always planned and had been working towards, I guess since I was about fourteen, fifteen, when I went to take my my sort of lower, you know, O levels and whatever, um, then all of a sudden that wasn't on the radar. At all i got the degree but i just went straight into royal marines straight from there 
Oh, cool. I must admit, the, um, it's, I had a, a slight theory that I spent a lot of my uh, childhood actually in a very similar geographic location, just kind of north of one of the local big cities, but very similar. And it was just, you, know, you kind of get a feel into someone's kind of values and skill sets and background, because again, it's, I, I think there's certain traits and stuff that you can spot in people, even at a distance, which might be completely <laughs> false, but I, I still think it's true. So you, no, uh, so then you uh, joined the, the Marines. How did, one of my later questions, but I might as well kind of ask it now, is what are some of the kind of misconceptions that people think or, you know, commonly think about the military that maybe aren't true? Yeah, I, I think uh, the the most obvious one is that they think it's some sort of dictatorship where everybody gets shouted at, um, sworn at, and, you know, it, it's basically whatever somebody says is, is blindly obeyed. Um, now, the, there are certain times at certain points in the military career where that is absolutely needed. If you are... Yeah. You know, suddenly being faced with a barrage of bullets and bombs going one way, you need people just to do as they are told, and you need to do as you are told to make the whole thing happen instantly because you're in that really high intensity, high pressure environment. But actually, a lot of the time, the military is is training and preparing for those types of operations, and a lot of the philosophy that the military has and is is, is gaining increasingly is one of more empowered delegation really mm -hmm. uh, so one in which the senior leadership and leadership all the way down through is guiding where they want to end up and saying this is what we what this is the sort of situation we see ourselves finishing at but not being too dictative around what needs to happen so the way in which we describe it, if you like, uh, and there's a, there's a fantastic book that if people are interested in can, can sort of encapsulate this. Well, there's two books, I suppose. Um, the first one is by a chap called David Marquette, and it's called Turn the Ship Around. It's well worth a read. Okay. Um, and the other one is by Stanley McChrystal called Team of Teams, both of which allude to this approach, essentially. And, and maybe while we're on the topic of books, I suppose there's a third one that might be worth considering because it gives more of a commercial angle to the, to, the, to the previous two, which is The Art of Action by Stephen Bungay. Um, all three of those kind of work in and around this space that the military now use. It, they recognize that in, in all circumstances, you need to be high tempo and very agile, English sense of agile, not the consultancy yeah. IT sense, yeah. project management. And so to be agile, you need to have decision-making at all levels or you need to have authority at all levels. And, and clearly the military played that because you have rank structures, et cetera. But it's actually about empowering those and allowing people to feel that they've got the ability to do that. So the way in which the military tries to operate is for the leaders to say what they want to happen, but not how. Have you and to read... allow the teams to come up with a how. There's a book by a guy called, is an American called Jocko Willick. It's called Extreme Ownership. And the way yes. he describes it, I was going to say, I've got a whole bookshelf. This is my office at home. Um, we just, I seem to have a strange fascination with the military and SAS two days wins and different things. I don't know why, because I'd be useless, but anyway. And the way that he um, <laughs> describes it is a commander's intent. So that the, yeah. the most senior people set the objective, take the bridge, but they don't tell you how to take it. 
And I think that is almost uh, applicable for a lot of the companies that I work with, which are smaller, because you have to, you need almost the empowerment of the team to help delegate just to get stuff done. That I think it's yeah, a big absolutely. thing that sometimes I think people are worried about making mistakes or doing things wrong that actually they don't really do anything. As well, I think some of the companies I work with, they almost just want a bit of extra leadership and guidance, not to tell them yeah. what to do, but to say what they want to do is okay. And um, I, I think there's a lot of lessons that people can learn from yourself and those kind of books. Um, you know, yeah, which... absolutely. It, that that concept of intent is very powerful. You're right. Even in an organisation, like you're saying, in, you know, in the in the niche that you find yourself in of that sub 100, because there will still will be maybe two or three layers, if you like, of management within an organisation of that size, and the intent can be different at different layers. So as long as they all align and the organisation is aligned. It could be that the CEO or the managing director, she or he are saying, you know, I want to do this in a really quite aggressive, driven way, taking lots of risk. But for a particular facet of the organization, two, two layers down, they need to get something absolutely right in order to provide the ability to take that risk. So the finance function is a classic one. You know, the finance function need to ensure that everything that they have is accurate to allow people to say how much risk are we taking now based on this analysis financial analysis so the intent is really useful it can change at different layers but i think the other piece that comes in here is is a little bit of a framework around that and some yeah, delegation freedom in the framework really, uh, concept yeah yeah absolutely you know it, it's if you just give people intent and say, we want to capture the bridge, but I'm not going to tell you how, well, they could go on a 200 mile detour, you know, which is epic and makes no sense whatsoever. It's, they still are going to do it, take the bridge and they'll still, how, you know, it's up to them how, but it doesn't really make sense. So trying to not constrain people too much, but just put some parameters around that, I think is also important. No, honestly, I think it's, it's brilliant, but it's also, it's, you can apply it in almost any business, and I do as well. And actually, I still have from when I listen to your webinar, I have my book next to me and where I write my notes. And what when I listen, I have quite a visual memory. So I actually draw pictures, so I draw a little uh, frame. Yep. And it's just, it's how I kind of remember things. Yep. So, yep. Um, conscious of time, but also I think because it's really interesting. How did your career in the military progress? Because you ended up in quite a serious, uh, you know, senior position and almost were, how did you find the journey? Um, I suppose in many ways in the military, quite lucky because there is a, there is a, uh, some people would disagree, but I feel there is a reasonable level of career management of individuals within the military. Um, you know, if you have a an ability to say, hey, this is where I'd like to get to, this is what I want to achieve, this is maybe, I'm particularly interested in this area of the military or this area or this area, this area, and you are then guided and given the opportunities or different courses to take you where you where you want to go provided it's kind, it's kind of obviously a contract right you know you there's certain jobs that the military need done and you might not want to do it but you might get told no you are going to go and do that job because that's what needs to be done but the, the, but the rest of it was quite good so i i kind of felt that i would had a degree of control over my career and um, i was able to shape it a little bit uh, i very definitely at one point wanted to go off and do something that I felt was 
really sort of at the at the front edge of of things um and so found myself in a particular job uh, as a, at a relatively young age um with a lot of responsibility you know guiding guiding jets and talking jets onto targets with the laser target markers and things hiding under the bushes trying to get them to the right place and to hit the right target um, so you've got that fear factor and that operational factor of being out and a long way from home and there's only a couple of you you know trying to trying to sort of do this this particular job but I also hit a point in time where you know essentially I joined the Royal Marines in 1994 and I left in 2012 well if you look at that the span of that time you essentially have the back end of operations in Northern Ireland, then you're into Kosovo. Um, there was a civil war in Georgia around about that point in time. Then you've got Iraq, you've got Afghanistan. Essentially, we were in a conflict pretty much the whole time I was in the military. So a lot of my development and learning and progression through the military was done in a very real situation yeah. um, and in very real circumstances. Um, and I think I'll always be grateful to that because it it taught you what you needed to know in an incredibly applicable way, but also to be really rigorous about what you do because if you get it wrong, then the consequences are going to be pretty catastrophic. Yeah. And I kind of grew from those smaller junior levels, as most people would do in any organization, <laughs> gradually up to working in Whitehall and in the government and, and working on the Afghan strategy. No, it's very cool. So as a seamless segue in, check my notes, 2010, uh, you co-authored uh, a Harvard Business Review paper. Mm-hmm. And then how did that happen? How did that come about? And in a second, we'll then go on to what happened next. Were you approached um, to write it? or It was, it was uh, really. Um, there was an academic um, who has now become a very close friend of mine called Arnu Franken. Um, and Arnu was doing studies into the Royal Marines, into their ethos, into how they go about what they do. And he was doing that as part of a, you know, a, a piece that he was then developing. But through that, I had to have a conversation with him because several of us were interviewed about how we work, how we operate. And we'd just come back at this point in time um, from Afghanistan and from my, one of my last tours in Afghanistan. And so we were talking through how it operates it, you know, on a training peacetime, if you like, non-deployment basis versus, you know, being in conflict and how, how the culture of the organization then drives you and, and supports what we do in the decision making and how we operate. And Arnu really liked it um, and we were having a good chat. And then he sent me through a, an article, a business article, and it was actually from Harvard Business Review. I'd heard nothing about HBR by this point in time. Never even it's quite a big it, deal. Right? <laughs> it, is, it is quite a big deal, but when you're in the military and you've been in the military for 19 years, it's not um, unless you are particularly well-read and learned, um, and I certainly wasn't. Um, and this article basically said that some business problems are so complex, they're so interdependent, you can't really work out a solution. You can't really plan for it. So you just crash into it and crisis manage what spins off. Um, and I had a particularly bad day in the office at that point. So I ranted back at him in an email saying, this is absolute nonsense. This is what you do. This is how you go about it. Um, and he liked it. 
turned around and said, I think there's something here. And so between Arnu, myself, and another of my former Royal Marine colleagues called Simon Rogers, we basically developed an article, sent it off to Harvard, and they really liked it, and we, we got published. Wow. I found this quite funny that with, um, so I read quite a lot of books, and there's a guy called Ray Dalio, who's one of the world's most um, successful uh, investors, and he was worth uh, multiple billions of pounds. And I read, he, he came up with a, a new book, it was called Principles, and I read it, and I, I wrote a, a LinkedIn article about it and posted it. And again, my, my posts at the time maybe got a few thousand views, but nothing too major. And then suddenly one lunchtime, it just rocketed, and he'd actually seen it and commented on it. And then suddenly his millions <laughs> of followers, it just, but it was funny that nowadays, I think with the internet and with different things, it's the ability for something to happen fairly kind of serendipitously that I, I imagine in yeah. some ways kind of changed your career. So then what happened next? Um, people started to get in touch saying we really like um, what you wrote. Um, are you able to come and talk at our conference? Are you interested in being a speaker? You know, I'd never really been a speaker before, but I'd had to speak obviously to quite senior audiences and I was, I was I suppose, relatively confident in myself and in the material. So I said, yes, by all means, um, I was still serving in the military. So I was taking leave, taking holiday, essentially, to go and do these talks. And I said, well, you know, if you can make a donation to a military charity in return, because I can't accept any payment, then this, this all makes sense. And essentially over the series of two or three different talks around the world, which I was really lucky to go off and do, a couple of things happened. The, the first is that some of the people at those conferences were saying, we actually really like what you're saying. Can you come in now and give us advice and give us some consultancy and some support? And I was thinking, well, no, I can't really, because I can't <laughs> just keep giving up holiday because I only have so much left and then I don't see the family. Um, and the second thing was, you know, when you've been flown around the world normally in the back of a you know, a, a C-130 Hercules and it's blooming cold at altitude and your knees are touching the knees of the person sitting opposite you and you're just in a webbing kind of seatbelt thing, you know, to suddenly be flying around comfortably and to nice places to be put up in a hotel as the speaker, it was like, okay, yeah, I, I think I could probably do this. So um, I took the decision to jump um, and to set up my own business. Uh, I felt pretty comfortable with it. My family felt deeply uncomfortable with it okay. um, because my children were very much tied to, to dad being a Royal Marine and they were very proud of their dad being a Royal Marine and dad being a businessman didn't really work for them. So they found that really hard. Uh, and my from, this is what you earn every month. Here's your salary month on month. You know where you're going, what you're getting to... Nothing. I'm now a self-employed consultant and I have no idea how much I'm going to earn month on month or where the next paycheck is coming from. And and she found that very, you know, dislocating as, as, a, as a change in lifestyle. With I had a similar conversation with my wife that within, um, I, I, I'd wanted to do this for a long time, but then it's always a challenge when you're quite literally offered a job and there's a signature and there's a contract and you can take it and you get guaranteed every month. And even, uh, so I went public in October last year, so eight, nine months ago. Um, but even then, there was a point where we were sat in a coffee shop on a Saturday and I'd been offered a job and I hadn't decided to officially go, because until you go public, it's not real. 
And um, <laughs> it was almost, it was the gut feel on, do I take the jump and, you know, risk f- losing everything in theory? But my wife has a good job, so we never actually lose everything. But I think right. I, 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 I really worried about what people might think. Um, and it, it's, it's true. But the one thing that almost got me was that with, I knew in my heart of hearts, I would prefer to try and fail but I'd know myself that I did everything I humanly could from live streaming to blogs to anything. I'll, I'll try my best. But then actually, if it doesn't work out, I'll happily get another job again. Um, sure. But I imagine you probably had something very similar with the military because, again, in some of the... Uh, I watched the TV show, uh, SAS Who Dares Wins. It's a bit cheesy, but I, I read all of their kind of books. But often, you know, they worried and they talk about how, but what will the lads think? Will people think I'm showing off being on TV? How does it kind of work? But then likewise, there's also the times when the phone doesn't ring and you need to put yourself out there because in the end of mm-hmm. the day, you know, you need to put food on the table. Uh, and I think it's often, it is a very difficult decision and it's it's a brave one. So I, I, I understand why your wife and family, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a gamble, but it seems to have paid off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, you know, Three years later, yeah, we're, we're we're doing pretty well as as a business. We've got some interesting contracts, um, either that we've delivered or that we are now delivering. Um, with a good team involved, I learned all the things along the way that every entrepreneur learns. That you know, it's it's nigh on impossible to do you know all the all the different roles by yourself. So you need other people there. Um, but how do you make that happen? How do you keep people happy that they're being rewarded and remunerated in the right way um, but it's still within what the business can afford what do you take from it bringing in genuine specialists to help you grow it in the right way in the right places but from an outsourced standpoint so that again it's it's controllable um, and and not trying to not trying to just make it up you know you know yes there's lots of ways in which you can sort you know you let's take a website for example yes you can now pretty much go to a relatively plug and play approach to a website where you're just clicking dropping your stuff into desired boxes and it that produces a website for you but but actually there's no real substitute for having a genuine specialist give you the right advice that gets you exactly where you need to be i must admit this week is actually today was meant to be a newcastle startup week and i was meant to be a speaker on day four uh, and I was going to talk about disruptive strategy and different things. But when I first launched, it was a target that I wanted to kind of aim towards. But there is a whole kind of raft of uh, startup people who are launching their own journey. I kind of fall into that as well. Um, and one of the things I try and not get too hung up on, it's trying to get the minimum viable product out there to get profitable, get money churning, get the business going. And then also it's knowing when to reinvest at the right time. So for instance, I'm still at the point where I do do everything myself from my website to graphic design to actually doing the work and stuff. But I also have different things in mind and I know when I'm going to trigger to get my branding done properly and then get my website done properly. And it's just, it's a phased approach, but it's, uh, you know, so it's great to hear from someone that is three, four years ahead of kind of where I'm going to be. Um, one interesting topic, if you'd be happy to kind of just talk about it, is through leadership. And actually, from your experience, both military and otherwise, do you have any good examples of what 
good leaders get good and bad leaders do bad? Because I think it'd be a really interesting kind of snippet to kind of just get your experience on. Yeah, I think um, what good leaders do well um, is is that whole vulnerability piece and willing to ask the organisation for ideas and to, and how to develop. Um, uh, you know, not too far from yourselves, we we worked with um, a company called Bell Valves. Um, I, I know them well. Yeah, and um, so they'd been they'd been struggling a little bit with uh, their performance essentially, but in terms of the delivery, and they've got a really good product, you know, really really you know useful product that was that was much sought after, but they were struggling to get it across the line, you know, as as efficiently as it needed to be, and they tried all sorts of different approaches, mostly top down driven approaches. Um, and the CEO, um, Bruce Eppenstall, came to to me. Um, he'd heard me speak at a conference mm-hmm. and asked if he could get some support. And so, yeah, we, we basically came in and, and helped them to to develop a, a better solution, uh, you know, which is still going really well um, a couple of years later. But it was the vulnerability of Bruce to say, right, you know, I've tried several different angles to this and it's not working. I need some help. So that, that willingness to be vulnerable, the willingness to be vulnerable as well to the team and say, right, okay, we don't obviously don't have all the answers as a senior leadership. So let's hear your answers. And, you know, Chris and Jim from Quirk Solutions are going to take you through the development of those options. Um, and, then a, and then a willingness, I think, as well, following on when those options are being presented to be able to say, I really like that. We want to take that forward. Yes, we're going to do that. Yes, we're going to adopt that. Sorry, no, that doesn't really fit with where we are or we don't have the resources to deliver it. So we're not going to do that. So I think it's it's bringing people along with you is what good leaders do well. And, and you know, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but poor leaders do exactly the opposite. They get too controlling they think that every decision has to be theirs. Um, they don't really trust other people within their organization to, to, to be empowered. So they, they try and draw everything into a really tight core. And, and people only have a certain amount of bandwidth. It's inevitable. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are, you could be some sort of absolute genius. You still have a bandwidth. And so, you know, the, the ability of the organization is driven by the collective intelligence of the of the organization, not by the intelligence of one individual. Uh, and so I think it's about that sort of sharing, drawing in, opening up. And for some people, that feels a bit scary because it feels like they're standing up and saying, I don't really know everything. that we do. Oh, they, they feel it's a bit like them saying, I don't know what to do. And that's that's not what they're doing. They're standing up to say, I know what I want to achieve, but I need you to help me come up with all the ideas as to how we're going to do it. No, I think it's brilliant. I've seen firsthand both of those. So I empathize and agree with you. And I actually also know Bruce and you know, he's a, he's a good guy. It's a good organization. Um, so yeah. I don't want to keep you too long and I appreciate your time. One of the no things which I ask everyone is, and I think this is, I actually have a completely separate section on YouTube just for the taking these bits out. Because I think almost okay. in many ways it's the most valuable bit, and it's almost okay. um, for for you for any point kind of throughout your life or your career. What's the most valuable piece of advice you ever had? 
um, without doubt, my grandfather, when I was growing up and helping him, um, uh, you know, we were on his farm and he said to me, and I believe, you know, now I understand a lot later on, it is a Mark Twain quote or a similar to a Mark Twain quote. But for me, growing up with a, with a grandfather on the farm, it was just brilliant. He said, Sunshine, remember, whenever you've got a new hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's something I've lived by every single time is when something shiny jumps up in front of you, just be very careful as to whether it is an opportunity too good to be missed or it's an opportunity to get hugely distracted, taken off down some sort of bypath that isn't going to be of help to you. So, you know, when you've got a new hammer, everything looks like a nail. Just being very careful to run a ruler over what exactly is this? Where might it take us? Is it where? Is that where we want to go or not? I think that, no, I like that. It's good. Because again, it's very true in business because you have hundreds of opportunities. When I asked you if you wouldn't mind being interviewed, you could have said no. Um, but likewise, it's very easy to get caught up in stuff which doesn't add value. And actually, you know, you can apply the same kind of thing that you can very easily and well-intentioned be a busy fool. Uh, and it's one of yeah. the things I've, I kind of, because I do like to learn from everyone, but it's, I'm quite brutal with my own time. So that if it doesn't yeah. add distinct client or personal value, I try not to do it. Uh, but no, I, I think that's a, a really good one. And then also, if you were to give advice to your younger self and you can pick kind of whichever age you want, uh, what would that be? Um, I guess it would be probably my sort of early to mid-teens and, and the advice would be stop trying so hard. Um, I, I didn't feel I was particularly popular at school. I, I think I know I wasn't particularly popular at school. So I then tried really hard to impress people and to win people over and obviously it has a completely opposite effect it yeah. just drives people further away from you because they think you're a bit of an idiot so i think that um i went chasing wanting to be part of the team wanted to be part of the gang wanted to be part of being popular and just enjoying it um and got quite probably quite upset about the fact that i never ever was and mm. and and felt quite lonely and actually, if I'd have just accepted myself for who I was, if I'd just accepted me for being me, I think other people would have liked me for being me and I wouldn't have had to have gone around trying to be the big I am and, and actually just annoying the heck out of everybody. But by the sounds of it, you know, you turn, it feels like you've learned that lesson which is almost one of the main things because like I, I was the same. So when I went to uni, it was a completely different culture shock to me that I didn't say fit in. I was just from a different background to everyone that I was around and it was almost, I just wanted to fit in. So you do anything you can to kind of, you know, you just want to be liked, I guess. Um, but also yeah. now looking back, I did it with the best of intent. It wasn't a anything malicious, but almost, you know, with hindsight as you get a bit older, I now don't judge people too harshly because again, even if I know someone, um, you know, so I coach basketball and we have youngsters at all different kind of ages. But if I saw someone in that scenario or even it was still acting that way, I wouldn't necessarily judge them for it because they don't know any better. So it's almost where I think it's just yeah. a, it's kind of a learning kind of Kev. But no, I appreciate that. I think yeah. it's, it's very good. Um, so have you got anything else kind of coming up that you would like to talk about or plug or because um, actually one thing that we haven't we kind of have talked about it with what Quirk Solutions do 
but it's um if i may because i think actually it could be sure. quite useful is that when we spoke earlier about almost the the force change because of coronavirus and how that's made people think differently that one of the big things mm-hmm. it's forced a lot of companies to do is go online but i think yep. just as something to plant a seed with yourself if you haven't done it already because of your your knowledge your ip and everything you have in you know ingrained within yourselves i think there's huge potential to grow and scale that either through training courses or books or whichever um, that actually i it's something i'm looking at with the roadmap but when you actually start to run the numbers on it um, your ip and protection is much better than mine but it, you know, this could almost be the way to actually help you hit 10,000 more people. And it might not be the full Chris Payton experience, but it might be Chris Light that actually helps that next kind of tier of companies. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's something you should consider. I think most people should if they can. But also I think you have the credibility and the brand behind it where actually it do very well. No, that's very, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, and certainly you're right. Um, it was something we've been thinking about for a long time. Um, can, what what lessons and what training courses that we now do, normally face-to-face, can we put online? Can we make more virtual? Can we use virtual classrooms, et cetera, particularly when some of our clients are international? So they, they want to be able to have everybody in the same room, but it's a virtual room. So for a while, we've been thinking about that. And the coronavirus situation accelerated it, essentially. Um, so... We now are providing that training. We're providing that virtual online online courses for leadership of self, leadership of teams and businesses, but also planning and strategy modules, um, as well as gaming and pressure testing modules and teaching people how to do all these techniques. So it, it's something that has come on rapidly <laughs> and very rapidly, um, but we are now delivering and facilitating some quite large workshops. I think we had one last week um, where we had 23 people on a, on a, on a single workshop. Um, so yeah, we, we are we are definitely getting there and seeing the benefits. And it's a nice way to kind of circle it back as opposed to where we started, which is it's made me realize that your point you made just now, AI can reach and we can reach as, a, as an organization much more people. And my, my Philosophy has always been to help as many people as I can. So the more people I can help, the better. So if I can reach more, great. But also, B, I don't have to be on the road five, six days a week to do that now. I can actually do that sitting here talking like I am talking with you. So it's it's been a it's been a challenge, but one that's actually had some really positive outcomes for us. Good. Well, I must I because I know a few people who are looking at it, but I think you will execute it and do it very well. So I think uh, I, I also. So where can people find out about your courses? Just on the website. Yeah, if they get if the, the easiest way to do it is if they get in touch with with us through the contact um, page on the website at quirks at quirksolutions.co.uk. Um, there's a contact point there. They can get in touch with us, or um, you can you can get us in touch on quirk underscore solutions on on Twitter. Um, and we can then basically send through to you some of the, the different courses because you know not everybody will want to know about the leadership course if they're interested in gaming and planning and strategy and that sort of side of things. So much easier to get in touch with us direct and we can put something your way. It does give you the chance to upsell them though. So never miss a trick. Get them into the <laughs> Chris right. Payton funnel and then you can expand oh, yeah. over time. 
I, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm. I'm not commercially driven that way, to be honest. But um, I recognise that is one of my weaknesses: is that I, I don't always do that sort of thing. Well, I appreciate it's an evening, and actually, it's quite a nice one in the northeast. Uh, thank you for your time, Chris. I genuinely appreciate it. I have no idea how bad the recorded stream will be because we had a few breakups, but I know it, the value is there and the voice was good and I appreciate your time, but I also don't know when I press stop what the output will come, what it'll be like, but I still appreciate your time in the chat. Um, no, so please kind of stay in touch. I'm sure I will see you at many kind of future events. Um, I you know, will happily recommend you to anyone and also I'll keep kind of pushing your webinars and different things that you put out as well because it is kind of really good content. Great stuff. Thanks, Steve. No, it's been a real pleasure. Really enjoyed talking to you.